0: Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I'm Jackson Wood, joined by my partner and my friend, and I call him the Black Belt. His name is Ryan Krueger. In today's episode we are going to be talking about dividends and we're going to dissect a dividend and a company's decision to pay a dividend i heard somebody talking on twitter and i've seen this in a couple of places that were saying they were saying that dividends are irrelevant and so you know us if you've listened to any episodes of the show you know we talk about dividends quite a bit um and and i wanted to break down a company's decision to pay a dividend what it means and how we think they're very powerful and good indications of the health of a business um, and so we're gonna we're gonna go through this hopefully uh, i try to make this a very simple example uh, and i want to shout out my nephew and his lawn mowing business that he ran that i used as the main example here uh, but really we're going to answer the question are these kind of the holy grail or are they a distraction and irrelevant when it comes to investing
1: well i give you a lot of credit jackson and this- this episode you're going to own and really speak to what I think is an uncommon desire early on to embrace the power of dividends, the older folks. And that was your polite way of saying, when you said black belt, I've just been <laughs> at this since 1996. They, they can tell you pretty clearly that it's the one metric that helps keep them rich and then compounding at a greater rate than they can find in a bank. Um, But when I look back to where I was at at your stage and age and young families that listen to you, I am in awe of your humility and desire to simply look at the math before most people, including myself, were. I mean, there's a lot when you grow up on Wall Street and you're trained with all these dizzying array of investment style boxes and ways to allocate and diversify. It's impossible not to be attracted by some of those returns and stories that in hindsight and with simple history and math, you learn pretty quickly if you're willing to be objective and humble that they don't last the test of time for a lot of different reasons. But my real aha moment and why we have dedicated our careers to these simpler truths, and we had to, I had to escape Wall Street first to be able to tell you this truth because I couldn't have recorded this podcast with you when <laughs> I was there, is beyond the investment stuff. If I'm a regular, real family wondering with real simple questions, how do I know I'm okay and how much is enough, this really shouldn't be about what an advisor likes or what they're predicting the market should be doing and how to invest in the never-ending number of different investments. I just finally realized who in the world is answering the question for an investor who wants to be reunited with their money? They're not all long-term charts that they put on the back of every one of those advisors' walls with, hang in there, it always works in the long term. It doesn't always work in the long term, and they keep changing the answers. So for the investor who embraces that early on and then can reinvest some of those dividends, it is absolutely, unequivocally, the only evidence-based investing that you can hold in your hand, and that's what was the light bulb for me Uh, about 15 years ago when we started focusing more and more on the simpler playbook as opposed to adding pages of a confusing one is where's the evidence? Great story. Might work. I don't know if it's repeatable, but what is the evidence-based, rules-based, repeatable way to invest? And I challenge anybody listening to this as you walk through some real-life examples that might do a better job than I do of bringing this down to real life is what other investor investment metric can you hold in your hand to know it's real and that stood the test
0: of time for 200 years I don't know of another one yeah that's right and and that's I mean that's incredibly powerful and to to kick this off I I think I want to emphasize something that you said where these you've got these long-term charts and starting 2023 uh, last year was if you look at the markets and one of those long-term charts and if you zoom in enough it's it's a really bumpy year Um, And a lot of investors feel like they've gone through, just been pushed to the limit with the volatility. And one thing I wanna point out is that the volatility that we feel in the market is exclusive to looking at the price of something or the earnings of these companies. And one of my favorite investors, John Burr Williams, in the 1940s, he's a Harvard grad. He had a thesis which was eventually turned into a book And he basically argued in that point, right, coming out of the Great Depression, that one of the reasons the Great Depression occurred was because the stocks themselves were so volatile. And a a good way to think about this is if you track everything based on the price and you see your investment portfolio or your retirement portfolio is down in price by 20 or 30%, what he argues in his thesis is that that will cause you behaviorally to pull back Stop spending so much money, and then it further exacerbates this recession and this, uh, you know, this depression. And he argued that the price movement of stocks uh, make worse the actual recession and depression. And, and part of his argument was that there should be a different, but a b- agreed upon way to value stocks aside from the price or the price to earnings measurements that everybody looks at. Uh, and he believed that the best way to value stocks uh, was by looking at their dividends. And if we looked at the dividend of the stock as our main metric, it would lead to less volatility uh, and eventually less of economic recessions or depressionary periods. And I thought that that was really powerful. So if you're listening to the podcast, I was in, I would encourage you to click on the link to look at the YouTube video because I'm about to post a chart that shows the S&P uh, earnings to the dividend rate. And if you look at the volatility in the chart, if you're listening right now and driving, obviously don't click on the YouTube link and watch it. But if you look at the earnings of the S&P, it's this very jagged uh, up and down bumpy line. But if you look at the dividend rate, it's a very smooth mountain. If you're thinking about skiing, it's something that you want to ski on compared to the volatility of the earnings.
1: And 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 spoiler alert, if this sounds overly simplistic and that Jackson is giving away the store, good news. The fact that those emotions that will cause an absolutely never-ending string of recessions and depressions going forward that nobody will ever listen to this podcast with a cure is that these large crowds with a lot of emotions are not about to start gathering for the first time and just doing math together that's not what crowds do so this will be the antidote of how you and i do not say say this lightly anybody listening to this on their own or with help could absolutely insulate themselves mathematically from those crowds, but their behaviors and the opportunities born from them will never be solved because they actually don't believe that the Holy Grail is deeply informed simplicity. They think it's more complexity and more sophisticated solutions.
0: Yeah, I love that. We can use the uh, uncrowded trade here to our advantage. And if you just start thinking of this through a different prism, you're you're gonna set yourself up for a much more enjoyable ride. So Williams believed that the value of a stock today equals the current value of all dividends that that stock will pay in the future, uh, discounted by some certain rate. And so in today's metrics, we call that the dividend discount model. And if you look at this and you overlay it on the S&P 500, it creates a very smooth line in the chart as compared to this very jagged, bumpy, emotional driven, uh, a chart. And so while I think it's pretty extreme to get the entire world to start thinking in this way, if you take it to its logical conclusion, I, I think that he's right. you know back in the 1940s that still is how we think today. So what I want to do is just kind of break down a very ex- a very simple example of a company that may or may not pay a dividend and hopefully walk us through this example. So my nephew, decided and and I I encouraged him and I would encourage anybody that has kids or nephews that are this age to to do this and run their own business. But he started a lawn care business where he would mow lawns and weed and and just kind of take care of people's yards. So I remember very specifically, he was asking me for some advice. Uh, This was a few months ago. And I I asked him like, okay, how is your business doing? And he said, well, I've made $3,200 in the nine months that I have been running the business. So if you think about that and you annualize it, just to make this very simple, he was making about $400 a month, annualized, that's $4,800 a year in revenue. Now, as the owner of the business, he has a decision to make with his $4,800 of revenue. So he can reinvest it back into the business as decision number one, where he can buy equipment, he can do marketing, I mean, anything you can think of to grow the revenue of his business. He can hire another employee uh, or... He could pay himself a dividend, or he could take money out of the business, right? Well, what he decided to do was reinvest back into the business. So he takes that forty-eight hundred dollars, or some of it, and buys new equipment, buys a trailer, buys a more fuel-efficient lawnmower or a weed eater. Um, and what he did, and you know, these new tools and the new equipment helped him grow his earnings year over year. So he grew his earnings from forty-eight hundred dollars the first year to $6,000 the second year, reinvested that $6,000 back into the business and grew that to $9,000 per year in revenue at the end of the third year, right? So all of his business reinvestments are adding to future earnings that his lawn care company is going going to see in the future, right? In this scenario, he never pays himself and he simply reinvests back into the business. Right. But then in 10 years from the day he started his business, he decides to call it quits, go to college. He actually is in Mexico right now on a church mission, so the business is no more. Um, and so the revenue went to, went to zero. And, and this might happen, but in this example, I want the revenue to go to zero, right? Um, could be something bad happens. It, it could be they lose market share if you're thinking about a, a stock that's trading. Um, but in his business, his lawn care business, the revenue goes to zero right? So what would the current value of his business be in this scenario if this scenario were to come true? If he never takes money out of the business and simply reinvest it, growing the revenue, um, and then the revenue goes to zero. Now, this might be an extreme example, but I wanted, to, I wanted to use this as a way to value a business, right? Technically, the business would be worthless. It would be worth zero because it always reinvests, he never takes a dividend from the business, and then in 10 years, it goes to zero, right? He left or whatever. Um, the only way for him to get any money out of the business would be to pay himself a dividend or a pay distribution, an owner's distribution. And right? so if over the course of 10 to 20 years, the company never pays a dividend and then goes to zero, which happens a lot more often than people realize, the total lifetime value of the business is zero. There's no real way to argue that it's not zero. It's zero. For the shareholders and the stakeholders of this business, the value is zero. So the only way that an investor in a business that doesn't pay any dividends would make any money, and this is a really important concept, and we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but the only way for a business, or excuse me, an investor to make money in this business would be to sell some of the stock before it goes to zero. And Ryan, you always talk about the stakeholder mentality, the business owner mentality versus the trader. And I wanted to emphasize that in this example, because quite literally the only way for my nephew to ever have made any money from the business would be to sell it. And the same thing applies to stocks. And so I have another chart that I'm gonna post right now, which shows Zoom and Peloton. And I picked on them, this isn't me making a prediction that they're going to zero. But there are the two that popped into my mind when I wanted to think about a business that had low revenue and then it spikes way up and then comes way down. And if you think about those charts, as an investor not receiving a dividend of any sort, the only way for you to make money is to sell for more than you pay for it. There'll be some investors that do that, but the vast majority of the, the investors will not make any money. Um, and collectively investors in the business make $0 as a dividend distribution. And so that's another important point that I wanted to emphasize is this trader mentality versus a stakeholder mentality. And this is a lot more common in public markets than people realize. So, all right. Now we're gonna get into the part of the of the controversy where people say that dividends are irrelevant, right? A lot of people believe that dividend payments are, are irrelevant and don't matter. Now I want to give them a little bit of credit, but not all the credit. I want to say that perhaps they're right on the dividend pay date only, right? So if you think about, you know, my nephew's business at, at $4,800 of revenue per year, let's try to put a value on the business and kind of walk through an example. Um, Let's assume that the forty-eight thousand or forty eight, I keep saying thousand, forty eight hundred dollars in revenue is going to continue indefinitely. It's not going to grow, it's not going to shrink. He's just gonna keep mowing lawns and make forty eight hundred dollars of revenue a year. So you could say it's a zero percent growth rate, right? Let's say that the discount rate that we're using to value the business is ten percent. You wanna make ten percent on your money. Um, that would put the value of the business based on the earnings at forty-eight thousand dollars. So the business would be worth In this discount valuation forty eight thousand dollars when you evaluate a business you evaluate a business you also have to include any assets that you have so let's say in this example he has five thousand dollars worth of equipment which would be lawnmower weed whacker trailer whatever uh, and five hundred dollars in cash in his business bank account so it puts the total value of lawn care business at fifty three thousand five hundred dollars Right, so let's decide that he decides one day, let's say that he decides one day to pay himself a dividend. He wants to go take his girlfriend out on a date, get some new clothes, maybe fill up his pickup truck with gas. So he decides to pay himself a $500 dividend distribution, right? Technically, the way that this would work is that the business valuation would drop by $500. So it'd go from $53,500 to $53,000 even. His personal bank account as the money transfers from the business account to his personal account would go up by $500. So collectively there was a 0% change in his net worth as the owner of the business and the owner of his personal checking account. So stocks work the exact same way, although it's a lot more involved in this, the concept is the same. Let's say for example, Apple wants to pay a dividend and I picked this because last Friday was. Apple dividend date, and I thought about Warren Buffett. But let's say that Apple pays a dividend one quarter of $50 billion. Um, The $50 billion flows, and I know that that's a conservative number, but I just used it for round math. $50 billion flows from Apple's bank account into the bank account of the shareholders. So collectively, for the shareholders of Apple, there was a 0% change across the board. And you can actually see this I'm going to post another chart here uh, when you zoom in and you look at the return of a stock uh, on the dividend date there's this drop in the price which is equivalent to the money that came out but as a stakeholder there's a zero percent change right so now while the math on the dividend pay date is easy to look at in order to answer the question about dividends you have to look more in depth at the dividend policy what the company is doing why they're paying a dividend, what their options are, and what they're going to do in the future. So you really need to ask yourself, like, when does it make sense for a company to pay a dividend versus reinvest back into the company? Now for my nephew's credit, a $500 dividend that got paid out to him would probably give him a lower return than if he hired a second employee because he's in this very fast, abrupt growth phase of his business where a second lawnmower would help him do five or six more lawns per week he could see revenue growth but as a company that's considering paying a dividend you have to look at one metric called ROIC or return on invested capital if the company in the example of my nephew has no debt it's the ROE the return on equity so what i did was i created this four quadrant chart that will show the options that businesses have when it comes time down to pay or comes time to decide whether or not to pay a dividend And I think that this is important. So I'm gonna post a link to this chart I created or this graph, this quadrant. um, And I'm gonna go through each one of these quadrants. And hopefully this gives some insight into why a company may or may not pay a dividend. So if you're looking at a four cell quadrant, um, the top left, let's call it quadrant one, is a company that has a high ROIC or return on equity. So if they invest back into their business, They get a high return and they also simultaneously have high opportunities so if you think of my nephew's business he has the ability very quickly to hire a friend buy more lawn equipment and he can get a good return and it's very likely that because his revenue is so small and he's still growing he will be able to get a tremendous return and in my previous example it went from forty eight hundred dollars to six thousand in a year and then to nine thousand it's very likely that he, by investing in his business, will grow that at a very attractive rate. So high ROIC and a high opportunity. Very important that these companies invest back into themselves and keep the capital for future growth and expansion. Now, if you move to the top right quadrant, uh, so we just did the top, top left, now we go to quadrant two, the top right. This is companies that have high ROIC, So anytime they invest money, they get a high rate of return or ROE, return on equity, but that they don't have very many opportunities to invest that money. And when you think about this, you need to think about companies like Apple. To go back to my previous example, the market they have grown and they are a very large powerhouse company, there's not very many new opportunities for them to continue releasing new products or services. They do one or two of these a year. So whenever they do invest back into the business, they get a tremendous ROIC, but they don't have all of these opportunities every single day. It's not as easy to go build a new computer with 30,000, 100,000 employees as it is for my nephew to go hire a buddy and buy two more lawnmowers, right? So these companies would benefit the stakeholders by paying a dividend, performing buybacks, and then sometimes investing back into the company when they check the box of got an opportunity and they have a a high ROE or ROIC. So that's the the two boxes there. Now, if you look at the bottom left, this is low ROIC and high opportunity to invest. So these are interesting companies where um, a lot of investors get trapped into thinking that these are tremendous investments. So low ROIC means that anytime they do invest instead of paying a dividend, they get a low return, but that they have lots and lots of opportunities to invest. So I searched through companies until I could find one that I thought fit the bill here and not to pick on them, but I think Ford fits the bill here where they have about a 5% ROIC, right? Um, It might be better for them to pay a dividend from the position of a a shareholder than to reinvest and grow because they do not get a very high return on their invested capital or ROE, right? I want to pick on them and perhaps it could change, but that was a good example. And I've posted an image here to Ford's ROIC on the the bottom of the screen. And then quadrant four, the bottom right corner, these are companies that have low ROIC. So do not have very good returns when they do invest and they have very few opportunities to investors, not very many opportunities for them to expand and grow their business. These companies you want paying a dividend as well. So the only quadrant, that you do not want to pay a dividend is the top left quadrant one, right? Um, The best use of the money is to pay a dividend to the stakeholder. And uh, from the investor's perspective, you can get this very glorious compounding rate of return from dividends, but understanding the decisions that companies go through when it comes to invest, invest back into the business or pay a dividend, I think is very, very important for shareholders, So I've just been talking for like 10 minutes, um, maybe even longer than that. But I wanted to break this down to make the decision to pay a dividend or reinvest back into the company. Um, like I wanted to paint the picture for what companies go through. So us as shareholders can make a, a determination of whether dividends are irrelevant or if they aren't.
1: So there perhaps two types of folks listening to this one that loves to get in the weeds and go through what you just talked about, others that that make their head hurt. What I kind of like about a dividend is that it speaks to both. I mean, I I would rewind and listen to what Jackson just described because one thing he didn't mention was any sort of macroeconomic, global, geopolitical factors that's inside some of these businesses. That is how complicated it is to create your own economy. And you really can. These businesses and their decisions and the investors, there are they didn't complain about a bad year for the economy. If you, in fact, as an investor, got a pay raise from each of your companies that you are a partial stakeholder in last year, every one of them, and the, we call this show mailbox money for a reason, if that's all you knew how to do was open that mailbox and find out is this more than I got last year did you participate in a bear market and i think you have a very fair curiosity when you are with your peers or friends next time what are they complaining about you did not participate in that if you want to get into those weeds there's a reason that that dividend has stood the test of time for 200 companies 200 years i'm sorry But even going back and the reason I love you share your personal example with your nephew and talking about this at the supper table at an early age, it really is that simple. And that's why it stands the test of time. If that nephew wanted to scale it beyond when he was going to ship off and have a business that sustained itself afterwards, that's really when companies go public and they have additional stakeholders that can allow him to probably go acquire additional businesses around town that have not figured out a way to compete or care for the customer as he has, or he wouldn't keep getting new customers. I mean, that's competition. That's capitalism. So if he is the best operator, then other potential partners would like to partner with him on an enterprise level that could grow to something bigger than any one of them themselves. And that at its best is what a company that goes public. And if they had asked only one question in that table of deal-making, my question would be, to simplify all these other style boxes and metrics and investment philosophies, if I'm that next lawnmower and I wanna partner with your nephew, a lot of my questions, especially when he ships off or starts to decentralize and have more and more people involved would be, use the example of he he didn't take a salary at the beginning and reinvest everything. Well, at an enterprise level, would you be more interested in aligning with someone who took a big fat salary no matter how well the business was doing or said to that additional potential stakeholder or investor, let's do this. I'm going to take the minimum salary to cover my own day-to-day expenses, but then let's all share in the net profits of all of our businesses after we carve out a little bit to reinvest and make sure we have a better fleet. And let's all share in that profit in the form of a dividend from free cash flow after those expenses and growth are covered. And that is something that is better than any one of them could do on their own. And that's why it works and why it could stand the test of time. No different than the most complex trillion dollar business that you mentioned.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. The, the fact that it breaks down to so simple when investing seems complex. Really the question you have to ask yourself is, are these companies using their capital efficiently? Are they paying a dividend versus reinvesting? Are they are they neglecting an opportunity to reinvest that will then grow by paying too much of a dividend? And how do you center in on that sweet spot? And you know, this was a very specific episode and very specific topic. We tried to make this simple so that everybody hopefully didn't get get bored or have your eyes glaze over. But this is very important stuff, and is as the idea of investing as a stakeholder with that mentality versus a trader timing in and out of the market makes the world uh, just makes the biggest difference I've ever seen in, in any way that you look at the market, and and I I really appreciate everybody listening. I hope that this made sense. If anybody has any question, would like to talk with our team, you can schedule a meeting with the team by emailing us, team at freedomdaysolutions.com. You read our website, freedomdaysolutions.com. And if you're listening to this, don't forget to click on the link so you can see the charts I'm adding into the YouTube video. And as always, we appreciate any sort of uh, ratings or subscribing to the podcast. And with that, all that nerdy math, we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed, and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to
1: change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other
0: advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.